to be together today as we, you know, come off of a pretty challenging week. Uh, for the first time in 83 years, two European countries are at war with one another. Um, you'd think we've grown accustomed to uncertain times, and yet more uncertainty keeps coming. It's a good place to be here, I think, um, because whatever you have, whether it's concerns about that, whatever you have in your own life, um, you're here to bring it and bring it to the table and bring it to the altar and lay it down and give it to God. A lot of things seem impossible, um, but um, there's nothing impossible with God. And so let's do that together with one another. Thank you, Father, for your word. Open our hearts to what you have for us. Help us to slow down a bit. Help us to wait, to receive, to be nourished, and to grow. God of peace, your prophet Isaiah promised swords would be turned into plowshares. And your son's mother, Mary, proclaimed the mighty would be put down and the humble exalted. Visit the people of Ukraine. Deliver them from fear, violence, attack, injury, destruction, death, and give them courage, solidarity, and allies in their hour of vulnerability and sorrow. Turn the hearts of those bent on war and invasion. Strengthen the hand of all seeking to halt conflict, restore order, and pursue justice. And make this moment of peril an occasion for your Holy Spirit to show your world the cost of conflict and our dependence on one another. In Christ our Lord, who went to his death because of our hatred and rose again because our hatred is never stronger than your indomitable love. Amen. Our scripture is Luke 13, uh, pretty short, 20 and 21. But there's plenty here. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And that's it. Very short, very brief. That is our scripture. And just like yeast and just like leaven, a very small, very short, very brief scripture can do a lot, can leaven a whole loaf. Parables are tricky. I told Steve coming in, I'm glad that he was able to explain all about parables last week when he filled in for me. And so I don't have to talk about them. Um, uh, one of the most important things though, to remember about parables is that the idea is not to get past them. The idea is not to hear the parable and say, okay, what's really going on here? And then we just sort of leave the parable behind. I mean, Jesus is pretty frustrating. You know, if any, if a, if a CEO talked like this, if a, if a general in an army was throwing out parables, that, that would be frustrating. Um, but this is, this is the best way Jesus can 
communicate what he's communicating. And so if we're going to understand what he's talking about, we've got to stick with the parable. The parable sort of asks us to wonder about bread and that there are two kinds of bread. I know, I know there's like a billion kinds of bread, but there's two main kinds of bread. There's leaven and unleavened bread. Um, bread that is risen and bread that is not, has not or will not rise. And when you bring up bread in the context of the Bible and you bring it up in a crowd of Jewish people, one of the first things they're going to think about is, a, is the, the second kind, the unleavened bread. This is, this is a sacred, holy kind of bread in the Jewish tradition. They celebrate Passover with unleavened bread. And the reason they do that is because they have kind of a, a spirituality of hurrying up. Because in, in Judaism, during the Exodus, uh, the idea was to get out of Egypt fast. And so every time they remember the Passover, they have to eat unleavened bread because there's no time to wait for that bread to rise. You got to go. And you're supposed to eat it with a staff in your hand and all this kind of stuff. And so they understood bread in the context of hurrying and moving fast. Now Jesus is really turning the tables on that. He's saying, I want you to celebrate waiting, waiting around. And that would have been pretty odd to, to the Jews, to Jesus' hearers. So... This is a parable about waiting. It's a parable about staying put. It's a parable about stability. We can think of the kingdom of heaven as, as the leaven and the dough as kind of like the larger society. God's people aren't meant to run away from the larger society and be separate. But they're meant to be folded into that society and to give it a, a shape, more than a shape, to give it a life that it didn't have without them. They're not supposed to run, any, run away any longer from places like Egypt that were you know, bad for them or unholy or however you want to describe that. In this case, it would have been Rome. And they would have thought of Rome as Egypt. And they would have thought, we want to escape. We want to get out of Rome. And Jesus is saying, actually, I want you to stay put. And that would be true in our case. Jesus wants us to stay put, to learn to wait, and to practice something like stability. I like to think of individuals who do this. Individuals who are maybe not very famous, but who found a way to be folded in, yet not overwhelmed by the society. And through ordinary faithfulness, they leavened the society around them. By loving those around them, by showing kindness and compassion to the poor, having mercy on their enemies, they changed the world, and they had no aspiration to greatness, but just ordinary faithfulness. And then I always think of this famous quote by Margaret Mead that says, do not doubt that a small group of people could change the world, for in fact, it's the only thing that ever has. So I think Jesus is giving us a recipe for nothing less than how to change the world. In baking, if you've ever baked bread, you know that the recipe 
is crucial, especially in baking. If you're making some kind of sauce, you know, you can be very French about it. You know, just sort of glug glug this and throw in the spices and voila. But with baking, you have to be very I, German, I guess. You have to be German about it. You have to be very exact, right? You have to have this much and you have to do it a certain way and that kind of thing. And the recipe matters. And so if there's a recipe for changing the world, we have to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. And I want to pull out two of those steps of the recipe. I mean, there's really four steps to baking bread. You have to, you know, you have to mix and make the dough, but that's God's part. God is the one who makes society. And then at the very end, you have to bake the thing. But again, I think that's, that's God's role. So our role are these two steps in the middle. One is to fold the leaven into the dough. I think that's one step. And then the second step would be to simply wait for the dough to rise. Fold the leaven into the dough and wait for the dough to rise. I want to talk about those two steps. And I, I, I just to hopefully confuse you completely, I'm going to start with the second one and then go to the first one. Okay. Waiting for the bread to rise. I, my favorite bread recipe is, is the one where you do almost no work, um, but it takes 18 hours for the bread to rise. Do you guys know this recipe? Uh, the no-need the no no bread, I think is what it's called. Anyway, it's my favorite one. 18 hours for the bread to rise. What are you going to do? You're going to do other things, but you are going to wait. Waiting matters. I've tried to rush it before. It doesn't work. The bread turns out like junk. Waiting is crucial. If we go back to the Jewish idea of, of, of not waiting, of hurrying and running, what are the reasons for doing that? Well, for them, the reason was it's not safe in Egypt. Egypt is a bad place. Rome, the same way. The world, the world we live in is a dangerous place. We saw that this week. There's still war. We're not, you know, beyond history anymore. We're not beyond conflict anymore. This is still a dangerous world to live in. There's still major, major issues. And one of the reasons that Christians have thought about fleeing or running has always been Get away from the danger and the risk. Longing to be a sort of chosen people. You know, one of the reasons um, we built churches like boats, and I, I've talked about this before, but if you look up, it's the hull of a boat. And one of the reasons we did that is because we sort of imagined ourselves like Noah. You know, we're Noah in the boat. Everybody else is drowning because they're ungodly and worthless, but we are in the boat. And Christians have long thought of themselves as sort of the need to escape from a dangerous world in order to survive. And our theology has grown in such a way where we've even thought about, you know, even, even the afterlife as a kind of escape from the material world, an escape from our bodies, an escape from the stuff of creation. And we sing a song like I'll Fly Away, which is, you know, endlessly catchy. And so I still find myself singing it, but it's not great theology. I'll fly away. Because what happens is you end up flying back. Jesus says that all things will be made new. All creation will be made new. So if you're flying away, you have to fly back. Um, there's been a lot of practical consequences of this that we simply have to bring up. We can't talk about this without talking about 
some of the um, the really the really uh, uh, devastating consequences of of people like us just fleeing and running away, because a lot of times what we were doing is we were not fleeing from um, unsafe situations, but what we were doing is we were fleeing from people who weren't like us. And so, especially in our country, we have a history of of, of Christians fleeing from people of different skin color, or pe- fleeing from people in poverty, fleeing from people with disabilities. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about another way of separating that's healthier, but we do need to identify this trend of, of Christians thinking that life would be so much better if they could just have their own little group while everybody else does their thing. Us in the boat and everybody else drowns. I, uh, I've told some of you the story, but I, um, you know, when we were, uh, this is a little more personal, but I, but I, I sort of have to bring it up. Um, when we were looking at schools, you know, for our kids, uh, we were excited to explore lots of options. Fort Collins is, is, is an embarrassment of riches when it comes to education. And so we, we called a bunch of schools and asked if they could support our kids and one of our kids has special needs. And, and it was some of the most Christian schools that said, no, we can't support them. Um, and and, and I, again, I don't like to talk about personal stuff too much, but I feel like that kind of thing needs to be talked about. That it's, it's not that they were, it's not that, well, let's say this, I'll put it this way. They were missing out. The school is missing out, is how I want to put that. And Christians have missed out by fleeing, by running away, by, by going to these other places, by, by holding up together and being afraid of the larger society. It's not, that, it's not just that we were called to be helpful or to be like you know, the saviors of the world or whatever. It, it was that we were missing out on the gifts that God was bringing us through people who are different than us. Here's the irony. Some of the Christian groups that I admire most have been known for separating the most. Um, The Benedictines, for instance, in 400 AD, uh, fled, literally fled the Roman Empire into the desert. Um, A community like the Bruderhof, um, a group of people who um, during, uh, right after World War I, got together, started sharing their belongings, worshiping together, and um, and have grown into a, a community all around the world of people who get together, share their belongings, and seem to be very separate from the world. So what's the deal? Why, what, you know, why are these people to be admired? The reason is because of why they're separating. They're not separating out of fear. If you go up to the Abbey of St. Walburga up uh, over in Virginia Dale, let's see, I think it's that way. Um, if you go that way, um, they won't say they're there because they're afraid of the world. They're saying that they're there for the world. They're doing it on behalf of the world. They're doing it in so- order so that they can be leaven in the world. They haven't left the world. They're still in the world. They're very much in the world. They're in Virginia Dale. Virginia is just as much part of the world as Fort Collins, as Washington, D.C. They're in the world, but they're there to be leaven for the world. And to be leaven is to be stable. The Benedictines are some of the most stable people in the world. They don't go anywhere. They're committed to their places. 
This is why God brought Israel out of Egypt. It wasn't to get them away from Egypt and have Egypt be ruined and Israel to be okay. That wasn't the idea. The reason he got them out of Egypt is so that Israel could learn how to be Israel and be a blessing to the rest of the world. They had forgotten that. And that's what we need as well. Another way to say this is what is possible if we don't need to flee? If we could stay put, if we don't need to focus on our security, if we don't need to find our lives, what would it be like for us to lose our lives in the way Christ is talking about? So now this is the second step of the recipe. And again, I, I'm, it's tech, it's, I got the steps all mixed up, but this is how I wanted to talk about it. Anyway, the other step of the recipe is that the leaven needs to be hidden in the world, dispersed. It disappears, really. Once you put the leaven in the, in the loaf of bread, you can't go and find it again. It's gone. And that's what God is calling us to do. A word I'd like to use for this is a word that um, a man named Paul Farmer used. Um, some of you have heard of Paul Farmer. He was made famous by a book Tracy Kidder called Mountains Beyond Mountains. And Paul Farmer died this week, and so I've been thinking about him a lot. I first heard about him way back in 2004. I saw a random copy of Time Magazine. Um, I, you know, I don't know where it was, like a waiting room or something. And I was, it was one of those hundred most something people of the year, like most interesting or best, best people. I don't know, whatever. You know, they do those lists. And, uh, and, and so I'm flipping through it, you know, and, and like, oh, okay, there's Jessica Simpson. Somehow she's one of the hundred people. And, um, and then they had an article at the very end that said that the, one of the editors thought, I wonder what it would be like to uh, tell the hundred and first person what, that they just missed out. And, and I'd, I'd like to have a conversation with them and let them know. And, you know, maybe they could put that on their resume wouldn't that be amazing to know that you were the 101st person? So I was really intrigued by that. So I read that article, and it turns out it's this guy, Paul Farmer. At the time, Farmer's in Haiti, and he's, he's trying to figure out how to bring health care to one of the poorest countries in the world. And I think he had, I think he, you know, in the article it says something that he had just gotten back from a four-hour walk to one way to try to help um, someone way out in the middle of nowhere, mountains beyond mountains, um, trying to save their life. And he gets this phone call, and this guy says, hey, I'm from Time Magazine, and I wanted you to know that you just missed out on da-da-da. Farmer says, I appreciate you calling me. Thank you very much. I, I really need to go. And he says, well, I just want to explain, you know, that, that you know, there, there was a lot of people, you know, I mean, there was I mean, we, you know, we had to include Jessica Simpson and farmers like, I'm sorry, Jessica, who I, I don't know who this is. Well, you, uh, you know, and so so the editor is 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 feeling awful about this. And farmer just wants to get back to work. And, and when I read that, I, I thought this is somebody who is interesting. This is somebody worth learning more about. Farmer described his work in Haiti. Um, he, he's, he's worked in Haiti and he worked in um, Rwanda. And he did most of his work in Haiti. And what he was trying to do was, you know, as, as somebody educated in the United States um, with 
um, a brilliant mind and a lot of resources, he said, how can I bring these resources to the people in Haiti? Um, and so he, he went there and lived there and, and set up something called Partners in Health, um, which has been around for about 25 years. And then he went over to Rwanda and did a bunch of work there as well and just set up a major medical center. And he often described the work he was doing as the long defeat. The long defeat comes from a phrase from J.R.R. Tolkien. He's the um, author of the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, also The Hobbit. And the idea behind the long defeat is, you know, it's not that he likes losing, but he said, you know, we're used to winning. We're used to victory. We're used to being on that side. He said, I, I don't mind winning, but I don't want to win at the expense of losers. And so I'm going to go be with the losers. And I'm going to go be in Haiti. I suspect he probably got some of this, at least from his faith. He was a Christian. Um, I think that that's possible. But I also need to find where I'm at my notes. Oh, yeah. Um, but he also saw it in practice. So early on when he went into Haiti, uh, they were experiencing the HIV AIDS crisis. And so he got together with a bunch of women who uh, contracted HIV and he said, okay, you know, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to stem this situation? And they were all involved in, the, in a kind of work. I, I think we can, I was thinking there'd be kids here, but there's not. They, so they were sex workers. And what they said was, uh, you know what we really need is uh, food, wood for fuel, and housing. And that's the medicine we need so that we don't get AIDS. And so that was sort of an epiphany for him, that it, when he realized, oh, you can't just, if you're an infectious diseases effort, the more you're with these people, the more you realize that there's something else connected to this. And then you, you go and look for the next thing, and you realize there's something connected to that as well. And you go to the next thing, and there's something connected to that. And so he realized over time that what was necessary was something called accompaniment. And accompaniment is being with the sick. He said, whatever you do, be with the sick. Because if you can be with the sick, you will be connected to all these other things. So maybe you want to offer treatment to somebody, and they say no. If you're with them, you're going to find out why they're refusing that treatment. You're going to find out what's really going on. And this led Partners in Health into, into politics. It led into infrastructure. It led into clean water and on and on and on and on. And it just kept growing and growing and growing, much like leaven and doughy bread. It kept going and going and going. Eventually, I think what Farmer noticed was that you can't accompany one person without it leading to a kingdom of accompaniment, a kingdom of the long defeat, or as Jesus calls it, the kingdom of heaven. So this little parable about bread, about leaven, has quite a lot to say about the whole world and about how Christians are meant to be in the world. It itself is like leaven. And my hope is that this little parable will, you know, not that your brains are doughy, but you know, sometimes it feels that way. 
Well, my hope is that this little parable will be like leaven in your brain. It's about us. But if we are patient and we continue to let it do that in our brain, we will begin to see that it's not even just about us. It's about more than us. This parable is about Jesus. It's about Jesus talking about himself. Because Jesus is the leaven. Jesus is the leaven who was folded in, lost in the dough. It says that she, the, the baker folded it three times and Jesus was lost in, for three days in death. And then the bread rises and Jesus rises from the grave. But as he rises, he does not leave the others behind. He rises with all of creation. And so Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection of all things. He's rising and he's going to bring us all with him and all creation with him. A creation that is more real, more itself than it ever was. No longer subject to division, no longer subject to war, ego, greed, tyranny, and death, but a creation of peace and a creation of love and accompaniment. In a few moments, we're going to receive the bread, and ironically, there is no bread there, but uh, that's by intention. That wasn't a funny mistake. Um, we're going to receive the bread literally from the kids because the kids are learning this exact same parable. And one of the best ways we can understand what it means to be leavened is to go into the world receiving, receiving what God has for us, not looking into ourselves to say, oh, we have all the answers and we always know what's right, but to go into the world poor and say, what, what gifts does God have to give me for me to receive. And this morning it'll be from our kids. Kids will be bringing this. And then the prayers that we will all be leavened with the life of Christ who accompanies us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may your word not only be a seed, but also be like leaven. May it bring us life, and may the life be the life in you, the life that your Holy Spirit gives to each and every one of us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.